day and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Well, I prayed about what I should share and I felt that I got given the subject. And so I've been thinking for the last few days on the scripture from Revelations 12 verse 11 which some of you will know. And basically what it says is they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives unto the death. And I want to speak this morning on those three things. First of all, the blood of the Lamb. Sometimes... Over the years that I've preached, I've spoken to all Indian groups. And I found that if I spoke to the Indian community about speaking in tongues, they already had it in the Hindu religion. If I spoke about divine incarnations, God appearing in the flesh, they already had a counterfeit of that. If I spoke about love, sacrifice, healing, speaking in other tongues, they had counterfeits of every one of them but there was something that they didn't have and that was the work of the blood to wash away sins and blot out sins and to guarantee all the promises of God. They had no equivalent for it. When I ministered in the Middle East, I realized that the blood of Jesus is one of the most controversial things with Islam that there is. They see it as absolute blasphemy and enough that they will kill somebody who preaches it. And that's because the Quran says that Jesus did not die on the cross. If he didn't die on the cross, then he cannot rise from the dead because he didn't die a normal death in the way that the Bible says that he did. So there's a, and also the Quran teaches that God cannot have a son. And uh, that's very important because Christians insist that God does have a son and that he's given him the highest name that is named. And... Uh, when I was in the Middle East, I, I saw people coming and going from the mosques and living their lives. I knew that uh, people get beaten if they have a son who is an infidel, which means he believes in another religion and converts outside. In fact, some people are killed or stabbed for being converted. So if Christianity is a deception, if the blood of Jesus is just a useless superstition, let's get rid of it as quickly as we can. But if it's real, we need to face all of its consequences. And that takes us some very interesting places. It's easy just to talk about it, but it's quite another thing to think about what it might really mean. Uh, from a Jewish point of view, there was the blood of sacrifices of lambs, of goats, rams, uh, bullocks. But it was not clearly understood that one day a human being would die. And I can remember when I first wrestled with Christianity saying to a man, I don't understand this because in the law it's written that if an animal cleaves at the feet, I don't mean a cloven hoof, I mean a splayed foot like a camel, and doesn't chew the cud, then it's an unclean beast. So how could Jesus become a sacrifice for our sins when technically a human being 
is an unclean creature. So how could it be? And it was a genuine point. If the Bible was true and the Bible had said that it, to be a clean creature you had to divide it the hoof and chew the cud, that's why we can eat a cow or whatever. It was the kosher law, the Jewish law of, of what you can eat and not eat. And yet Jesus is said to be the sacrifice for our sins. And you just go, how could he be? And fortunately, there was a Baptist man who understood the scripture and understood Jewish things. And he was able to say to me, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And he pointed out what Peter says, the Apostle Peter and Second Peter, that you were not redeemed by silver or gold or goats or anything else but by the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus. And knowing that he was sinless and spotless and did not have Adam's sin or Adam's tainted blood at all, but that he was utterly innocent in every respect and, and not an unclean creature, but God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that solved it. I had some other problems. So One of the problems was that on the cross Jesus had said, why, Father, why did you forsake me? And I thought, why would you ever want to be a Christian when their leader said that he got let down as he died? But fortunately, another faithful Christian who knew the scriptures was able to say to me, oh no, you're wrong. He tasted rejection for every person, including the rejection that was due to you. It was not due to him. And he was quoting Psalm 22 to tell all the Jews there this is the day the sacrifice is being made for you. If you read Psalm 22, it goes on to say how they um, gambled for his garments and they nailed him, he was pierced, and so on. It's all there, Psalm 22, which was written something like 752 years before the cross. And so he was really giving them all a clue. <laughs> he was banished for our sake. In Jewish circles, you're not allowed to read, Orthodox circles, you're not allowed to read Isaiah 53. The rabbis say that's because the Christians have misinterpreted it for so long that it's a confusing thing, so stay away from it. But Isaiah 53, two, uh, 53 verse 6 says the reason why Jesus died on the cross. It says, we all like sheep have gone our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all that Jesus on the cross paid for your iniquity, my iniquity. Iniquity is deliberately rebelling. You know what God wants and you do the opposite. And God laid it all on Jesus. So you don't get punished for your sin. He gets punished for your sin. He doesn't receive his reward for his righteousness until he's given it to you. And then he gets a reward of seeing you made sinless by his blood. So he gets his guilt, you get his reward for his sinless life. It's just an amazing exchange. And from heaven he sees it. The end of Isaiah 53 goes on to say, he shall see his seed, that's you, his descendants. Uh, he shall prolong his days, he's eternal. The Bible says in Ephesians that God has given him a name that is higher than every other name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. There will never be a time that Jesus gets off his throne. He's got it for eternity. 
The Baha'i religion teaches Jesus used to be on the throne, but now Baha'u'llah is there. Untrue. The Krishna religion teaches that Jesus bows at the feet of Lord Krishna. No, he doesn't. Krishna is a defeated, evil, deceiving demon. And the Bible teaches absolutely plainly he made an open display of the defeat of his enemies by rising from the dead. And every demon knows it. And there's tremendous power in the blood of Jesus. I, I had a friend, uh, David Michael, who's a pastor at the airport church down in Melbourne. Uh, when he was a boy, he was a servant of a witch doctor in New Delhi. And the witch doctor would get drunk with offerings from the people who came, and he would put curses on various people, and he'd get demon-possessed. The demon would speak out of his mouth. And um, the boy, David, who was his lackey, his apprentice, his learner, would listen to what the demon said as the man would get possessed, and he would serve him take him his food and do various other things and they were in this darkened room that you had rather like an igloo where you had to get to it through a dark tunnel and whoever came in would come and and the man would throw curses on people and the Bible teaches that there are supernatural powers and principalities but that they are all defeated uh, by the Lord and the power is in the blood and uh, demons know it even if you don't and anyway, what happened was somebody came in and they said, we want to curse such and such a Christian. He's got a piece of land that we've tried to get. We've tried threatening him. We've tried um, coercion of various kinds, intimidation, and they're not working. So would you please curse him? And they addressed the request for this supernatural curse, not to the old man, but to the demon that filled him. And it spoke out through his mouth and said, I can't do it because I can't get over the Christian blood. And my friend, who was a young boy, said, what is the Christian blood? And the old man threw a tantrum and began breaking things in the temple, and the thing just went berserk, and he got uh, told off for it. But it made him search for the meaning of the blood. It made him ask Christians, could you tell me about the Christian blood? And Christians were able to say, you were a sinner, but the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin. They were able to show him, First uh, John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God offers utter cleansing no matter what you have done, and the cleansing is in his blood. Jesus has made the sacrifice once for all, not a bull, not a goat, not a lamb, but his own life. Acts 17 says that God bought the church with his own blood. The Bible says you're not your own, you're bought with a price. If you know what the blood of Jesus has done, you have got a different view of yourself. And there is an attempt worldwide to get the Western church staying away from the subject of the blood. There are churches that relegate communion to the back room and they say it's just for religious mystics who are super spiritual, spinning their wheels, doing nothing. We're the real achievers. We will leave uh, communion in the side room. Some don't even have it. But when Jesus talked about communion and he said, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins for many. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. 
He said, as oft as you do it, remember me till I come. He didn't say if you do it. He said, as often as you do do it. And a church that does not keep communion is a church in rebellion to the Scriptures. And it's no wonder that the blood is under attack. If I was the devil, I'd attack it too. Because it's dangerous to him. There's tremendous power. I remember a group of brethren missionaries who were in New Tribes Mission and they were reaching an unreached tribe. They had left their gifts by the jungle tract, uh, tracks because they knew that these people were quite warlike. And soon a group of natives arrived with their arm to the teeth ready to kill the missionaries and they began to get very belligerent and act that they were going to kill them. The Christians didn't know what to do but they began singing, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. They thought if we're going to die, we'll die singing a Christian song. To their amazement, the people who had come to attack them fell down under the power of the Holy Spirit and the missionaries were able to get away. They didn't understand anything about deliverance from demons or the defeat of demons, so they were unable to deliver them. They just got out. But had they known, they could have delivered them. They could have, in the name of Jesus, cast out demons. But they didn't know to do it. Nobody had taught them. And very often, it's because we haven't been taught that we don't rise up in what we have, the power of the blood of Jesus. Revelations 12 Verse 11 is talking about Satan, the serpent, the deceiver of the whole world, and it says, They, the believers, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives unto death. I just want to give you the other two parts of the verse there. They overcame him, so they were successful in getting to victory by the blood. The word of their testimony, their lives were a message their lives said something. They said it verbally, they said it in their actions, but they stood for something that was known. And if you read, we, won't, we don't have time to do it, but if you read Hebrews 11, it talks about the heroes of faith, and it calls them the great cloud of witnesses. And it talks about people who were willing to be living in caves, sawn in half, laying down their lives, of whom the world was not worthy. They considered Christianity so important they were willing to take huge risks for it because of their faith and their lives were a testimony that ought to encourage us. And of course this is not just 2,000 years ago. There are people being beheaded for their faith right now. If you go to Open Doors website you'll see all around the world not just one but many religions persecute and kill Christians. In Nigeria Christians are suffering horribly. Women are being raped. Churches are being bulldozed and burned down in the middle of the night. There's the most horrific suffering. They're our brothers and sisters. And they're living a life of faith that is not easy. I had a friend uh, who was in Uganda. Uganda too, there's much suffering. Uh, and the church is serving the poor there and educating people and doing all sorts of wonderful things there. And those lives are testimonies. I'm amazed when I see lives laid down, and I see them in this church. There are grandparents bringing up children and volunteering for everything in sight when they're exhausted and still carrying on. There are people helping in the soup kitchen type stuff that don't need to do it. There are people working. I know some of the sacrifice some of you make that is unknown. You could be sitting next to a person you think is wealthy who is in fact working for free and living off their private investments. I won't name who is who, but I know there are some secret givers here 
given a colossal way and who work and work and work as if they were being paid well and receive nothing for it. Why? Because First John 3 verse 16 says, you see how Jesus laid down his life for you and you too ought to lay down your life for the brethren. There are people who live that way. But in the Western world, it's flourishing a flourishing environment and God should get over himself and not tell us to repent because we're not going to change. The Western and the Australian gospel is basically, I don't need to change. Don't talk about sin, it's negativity. And especially don't tell me to repent because I don't need to repent, I just need to succeed. That's a false gospel and it's widely believed. And the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Oh, we do sin, all of us. We all err in many ways. All of us sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. If we face that we have disqualified ourselves, but he has requalified us by dying in our place and washing us clean, then we have hope. 1 Corinthians 6 has a long list of people who cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But it says you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Such were some of you. And there's a list of horrible crimes. And preaching to the believers, Paul says, you were on the list. You were disqualified. Now you're qualified. And it just changes everything when you live that way and you go, I actually can lay down my life for other people. I like my comforts. I do not like to be in a lack of comfort. I like everything to be safe. Somebody said to me, why don't you go to India and serve them there? I said, I don't like to be that far away from a Sheraton. I wasn't joking. (laughs) I really wasn't joking. I thought, I don't want to see that kind of poverty. I'd never enjoy a restaurant meal again. I was fearful of being exposed to poverty. I was fearful of it. It's possible, though, to pay a huge cost and still be wrong. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Even if I give my body to be burned and have no love, I'm nothing. It's not how much you sacrifice at all. It's whether you live for Christ at his bidding and his leading and follow the Holy Spirit. Because... If you're living the life that the Spirit of God is leading you to live, that's the good witness. But if you're controlling what you sacrifice and how you sacrifice, even when it seems an extreme sacrifice, you're still in control. And we've got to give up that control to Jesus himself and say, whatever you want of me, I'll do. That's the life laid down. But it's the only way to go on. But it ends up they loved not their lives even unto the death. One of the reasons why we don't want to sacrifice or serve is that we don't want to lay our lives down. So I'll just go over those three again. It's Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame the accuser by the blood of the Lamb, which we've talked about, the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives unto the death. There are three words in Greek that take care of the various areas of our life. And they are soma, which mean, from which we get the word somatic. When you talk about psychosomatic illnesses, means that your mind affects your body and makes you ill. If you're depressed or anxious or if you're bitter and unforgiving, uh, you can actually create um, hormonal 
secretions and various things, enzymes and things work in your body that fill your body with toxins and incline you towards negativity and the result can be cancer, the result can be various other things. It affects pancreatic fluids and so on. There are physical results from mental states and mental states can be affected by unforgiveness and bitterness or unwillingness to yield. But when God takes care of your mind, the mind can minister to the body and bring health. So that's soma, that's the body. The other one is suke, which is used in Revelation 3.11. They loved not their lives unto the death. That's the word suke, which means your soulish life, your mind, emotions, will, what you think about things, what you feel about things, that's suke. And that's what they didn't love. They said, we're not going to love that so much that it stops us from the will of God. I might think this, I might feel that, that is not going to make the decision for me. And it says, unto the death. They were willing to die rather than live by their soul. Zoe is spiritual life, but the third word is not Zoe, it's pneuma, to live out of the spirit. Paul says, I serve God out of my spirit. So there's the Holy Spirit, and there's your spirit. And your spirit gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and out of the spirit man you serve God. You have a spirit, you have a soul, you have a body. You are a three-part being, just like the temple had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy place. And you have three parts too. Now, Jesus gave up his body, yielded his spirit unto God, his whole soul was submitted to the will of God. That's the pattern for the believers. That my body doesn't dictate my life, nor does my soul. Both submit to my spirit as the spirit of God leads. Now, I'm not just being technical about it. I believe it changes your whole Christian life. You don't need to even keep to the distinctions. Your whole Christian life changes if you believe that your life should declare what the blood of Jesus does. Your whole Christian life changes if you believe the blood has bought you with a price and you're not your own. Your whole Christian life changes if you say, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross. The cross is absolutely hated by the enemy. And you won't hear much preaching of the cross in the Western church these days. There are evil pe even people preaching there is no heaven. In England, it's being preached in Pentecostal churches that there's no heaven. And it's because everything important is getting attacked. The reality of sin is being attacked. The work of the cross is being attacked. The truth of the scriptures is being attacked. The fact that Jesus is God is being attacked. The fact that he died for our sins is being attacked. The fact that he rose from it, the dead is being attacked. The fact that without repentance we all perish. Jesus said that, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So repentance is a hated subject. But the Spirit of God is still saying those things. The Spirit of God is still saying the Scriptures can be trusted. Jesus is the highest name that can be named. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died for our sins. The Bible is still saying, except a man forsake all he has, he cannot be my disciple. The, the, the cost is still there, and in many parts of the world people live it. But in the Western world, we're so addicted to our comforts that we don't want to be insulted by the challenge to change. We want to be blessed. 
We even want to do good so we can admire ourselves. But we don't want to be told that we haven't got any other hope except the free gift of righteousness. We don't want that. And that changes absolutely everything. The Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. It uses the word in Hebrew of a menstruous cloth. That's what the word that's used. And ceremonially that was considered unclean. And it's not that women are dirty or anything like that. It's a, it, it's a metaphor. And, but the metaphor is that we can think that our righteousness is good enough, that we're just so clean that God owes us something. And that the real message of the cross is completely different. God owes us nothing and yet gives us everything. And the Bible says concerning Israel, that's my own ancestry, he says this, he says, I, Paul says it in Romans, he says, I testify they have a zeal but not according to righteousness because being ignorant of the free gift of righteousness of God, they try to establish their own. And I have seen that, religious people, Christians included, when they don't understand that Jesus Christ is their only hope of righteousness, they try to be righteous by good deeds. And they will allow glaring sins in a certain area while they're excessively faithful to a tiny little group of religious rules elsewhere. And they do it so that they can say, see how good I am? But actually, they're unkind to somebody over there or they're unforgiving over there or they've got a sexual partner that's a secret or they've embezzled funds or they've... Dwight L. Moody made this comment. He said, never underestimate the sin of your audience. And I would add to it, never underestimate your own sin. I know only too well, and this is my own word of testimony, I know only too well that I'm a big disappointment to myself, let alone to God, except for his mercy and his grace. I thank God for his mercy. I thank God for his grace. I thank God for a church that faithfully preaches the scriptures. I really do. The Bible says there'll be a famine for the hearing of the word of God in the last days, and it's true. All you hear is get-rich formulas, and you can succeed formulas, and aren't we all wonderful? Uh, it's a false gospel. It's not the truth. So we go back to the end, Revelations 12, verse 11. They overcame him, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver of the whole world. They overcame him by three separate things. First, the blood of the Lamb, the work of the cross. You never come to the end of it. The Holy Spirit will help you understand it. Christians, as you read the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit will show you verse after verse of what the blood has done for you. Celebrate it. The second point, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. The Bible talks about say-so Christians. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it is the power of God unto everyone that believeth, first the Jew and then the Gentile. We should never be ashamed to speak about Christianity. People say you're ramming it down their throats. No, you don't. You don't have to ram it down their throats, but you can mention it. Whatever your heart's full of will overflow through your mouth anyway. If it's important enough in your private devotions, you'll accidentally mention it all over the place. <laughs> the word of their testimony. But the other point of the word of the testimony is the message of your life. Your life is saying that Christianity matters or that it doesn't. It's saying that it's a priority or that it's no priority. And only, only you can know how your life matches up. 
There's many a person that's got the profession of their lips, but their life has got a different message altogether. Your son is watching. Your daughter is watching. Your relatives are watching. What is the testimony of your life saying? My life is saying something. Somebody asked me, do you sleep around? The rumor came around that I was. It's not true. But, but they wanted to know if I did. And I just said, look, I, I, I live a life that I, I know I've failed God often, and I admit it, but I live a holy life. I live a celibate life because I think his, his life is worth laying my life down for and my privileges and my rights and every other thing. So no, I don't. But I understand what they were saying. They were saying, do you live a double life? What is the word of your testimony? Your life is saying something. And that, that's, I remember being in Toowoomba, a certain pastor, I won't say which movement, said to me, do you have a prophetic word for me? I said, yes, I do. Your life is out of order. And it was. Uh, he treated his wife cruelly. He was an adulterer. He supported missions while he lived another life. He wouldn't pay his bills at home. They turned the electricity off in his own home. He had a reputation for holiness while he lived another life. A famous Baptist preacher who was a friend of mine, when he died, it was found that he had molested all of his grandchildren, both male and female. So much so, his daughter was so angry, and he was famous. Because you can have the outward appearance, and the heart can be a different testimony, and you leave a different legacy and a different effect. So much so, when, when they buried him, his daughter broke the tombstone because the tombstone said, sadly missed, and she said, no, he isn't. And one understands. Jesus said, whoever offends one of these little ones, better a millstone was around his neck and he was thrown into the depth of the sea. Your life is saying something. And it's never too late to change. If you've been in this meeting and you know that your account with God is flawed and you're on the wrong side and we've all sinned, so we're all this person, the blood of Jesus today can do for you what 1 Corinthians 6 says. It can get you off the list of a disqualified person and put you on the list where you're washed, where you're sanctified. That means separated unto God. Your life's now separated unto God. Justified, that means just as if you never sinned. God takes away the record of your sin. In fact, one of the things the blood does, again, no time to go into it, but I want to mention it in passing, both Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 12 says God says that because of the blood of the covenant and because of the everlasting covenant, he will remember your sins no more. They're not only forgiven, the record is gone. One lady in Indiana, when I was in America, said this to me concerning her son who had a prison sentence and uh, various things. And uh, she knew that I had links with uh, American justice over there and she said can we get rid of the testimony against my son can we get rid of his record and of course the answer is no <laughs> it's public record but your record with God can be nailed to the cross obliterated, washed away, gone forever and you'll never hear it mentioned by God ever again. He says their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That changes everything. You're going to receive a chance after the service to receive that forgiveness, whoever you are, and it will change how you live if you believe the record is gone. Good. God bless you. Shall we carry on?
Well, we pray you've been blessed by this message from Noosa Christian Outreach Church. For more information, please check out our website at www.noosacoc.org.au. See you soon.